Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. just in this atmosphere right now, hearing this, feel a little bit more joy right now. You're smiling. Like, that's what thankfulness does. It, it changes our attitudes. It changes our perspectives. And, and I'm just going to present you with a couple things. And one of the things we've been talking about the last three weeks is our perspective and just our conscious choice to be thankful changes the way we see things, changes the way we think, and we get to celebrate more of what God's doing without stumbling over what he's not doing. Joy and, and thankfulness is a choice. And it's literally an intentional choice. And, and we, we really focused a lot on Psalms 104, where it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks. Bless the Lord. So we get to make this conscious decision, and it's literally an access point. It's this thing to where we get to unlock heaven. Now, now he will just pour out heaven anytime he wishes because he's God and he's that good and he's awesome. But we get this tool, this thing to where we get to unlock heaven and go into this, this realm of, of seeing things from a different perspective just by choosing thankfulness, just by being content. Some other verses that we focused on the last couple weeks to catch you up if this is your first week here. In everything, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, in what? Everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for who? You, us. It's, it's, the, it's the will for the Lord for us that in everything we give thanks. One of the things I, I propositioned the first week was that in, there's one thing that we get to do on earth that we can't do and we will not do in heaven, and that is praise and give thanksgiving through circumstance and trial. Everything's perfect in heaven. There are no trials. There are no sorrows. There are no bad circumstances. There is no death. So therefore, on earth, when we get to worship him and praise him and give thanksgiving in circumstances, in trials, we are given an opportunity to make that choice of one thing we'll never get to do in heaven. I see it as a gift. Last verse, 1 Chronicles 16, 34. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is what? Good. No matter what, he is what? Yes. No matter what junk we go through, he's what? Yes. No matter the trial, he is what? Yes. Christy is up here sharing. And those of you who don't know, her and her husband were leading in our youth ministry. They were leading a ministry school that we had here. They were key people in our family here. They are leaving church after an 11 a.m. service. They're going down the highway. They wreck into the back of a semi. And Drew is getting his upgrade way too prematurely from what we would agree with. At 20-some years old, with a little baby, now she loses her husband and her life gets reset. And we go to the hospital. Nicole is spoon-feeding her her first meal from a broken neck, hip, and pinky, and all these things. And she's spoon-feeding her her first meal. Christy says, can we begin to worship? Can we sing a song of praise? In the hospital room, we're caring for her. Nicole's spoon-feeding her, and the nurses and everybody, we begin to weep as she begins to lift her hands up, the ones that she could, and praise Jesus after she knew she lost her husband. That's a choice of thanksgiving, and it's a choice that she was able to do because no matter her circumstance, trial, or condition, she knew inherently, she knew by faith that God's good. 
And she walked that out. And we began to say, is she delusional? Is she in denial? Has she grieved enough? Is she denial? A year later, same thing. Two years later, same thing. And here she is still. God's good. I read my journal, and I'm still in agreement that he's good no matter what. In all things, we get to give thanks. And it says that, for he is good. And then it says his love endures how long? Forever. Forever. He's good all the time. And all the time? Come on, church. Come on, somebody. So this is a thing. So at any rate, there's a few things that thankfulness does. It changes the atmosphere. It changes our perspective. It changes uh, the, the, the attitude. And it also literally changes the circumstance because we see it differently. That thing still happened. She still lost her husband, but her viewpoint and her victory changed because she saw from a different perspective. Gideon was told that he was going to win a battle, and he was told, and he was insecure, saying, no, I'm not the right one. He's at basically a campfire. And then the next day, he goes from a higher perspective of thinking. He goes from a mountaintop. The enemy's down in the valley, and through praise, they begin to, to make noise and blow horns and have these lanterns, and through praise and a different perspective, seeing things from a higher calling, seeing things from the heavenly places, something begins to happen. The enemy turns on themselves and they win the battle through thanksgiving, praise, and seeing things from a higher perspective. That's what the Lord gets to do in our life is we get to sit in the heavenlies and he says, come up here, I'll show you great, mighty, or marvelous things. And we get to see things the way he sees things. And it's not always what we think is like the best or agree or the timing. But when we do that, all of a sudden, that circumstance changes because we see it from a different perspective. God's calling us to see things from a different perspective, a heavenly realm. So we get into this thing of, of the seasons, and, and I'll just tell you just a little bit where I'm at and then where I'm going, because the Lord kept telling me over and over the last few weeks, and this leading up to final week here, like, Lord, what am I going to do? Like, I gave it all out week one. I don't have anything else. And Nicole followed that up with some more good stuff. Like, what? And I just had this one phrase that Thanksgiving, basically, there were some things like Thanksgiving's more than a season. It's more than a holiday. It's a lifestyle. He kept saying that, and then he kept saying, Thanksgiving is an invitation and an opportunity. And where I didn't have clarity is an invitation to what and an opportunity for what. What is the invitation? What's the opportunity to learn? I'm processing this. Finally, yesterday, I get this clear word. It wakes me up. I can't go back to sleep. I start journaling what the invitation and the opportunity is, and I can't wait to get to that. But I've been wrestling the last couple weeks in this place of contentment. Let me just tell you a little bit about myself if you don't know me on a personal level or, or you don't have that close connection with me. I'm a dreamer. I'm a visionary. I'm a faith guy. I have a gift of faith, and I can see things that are in the unseen. I can see things the way they, they could be versus where they're at. I see that more clearly than I see the present circumstance. I can see a person who's in sin, who's on heroin, who's in a nasty lifestyle, and I can see them in their calling and their destiny where they're supposed to be rather than where they're currently at. And I love it. It's, it's this gift. It's this thing to where I can see where upper room is in three years and five years and ten years. I can see where this life is. I can see where this teenager is. I can see where this heroin addict is because I'm seeing where God sees them at. And that's way easier for me to dwell on where the certain practical circumstance is. Like when people get diagnosed with cancer, I'm almost callous because I know that there's healing. And it's like I have to like bring myself back to be empathetic and sympathetic because this is still a trial and this is still real. In that, the side effect not only is that, but also I fight contentment and thankfulness where I'm at. Because I live in this realm of I'm thanking God where I've come from. I'm thanking God I'm no longer there, but I'm thanking God where I'm supposed to be. I'm no longer where I used to be, but I'm not yet where I'm called to be. 
And I, and I live in this realm over here. So I sometimes miss the moment. And the Lord began to just show me a picture of a book. And he began to show me this thing of, of like enjoying this place where I'm at right now. Like this, this eternal book that he's writing. And, and, and I get to journey with him and be on adventure with him. I only get this chapter on this page once in my lifetime. I only get upper room in this version once. I only get this worship set with this group of people once. I only get that moment once. I only get my, my kids at this age once. And to, to sit here in contentment and thanksgiving, I only get this trial once. I only get this circumstance once. I only get this thing. So how can I? And there is a tension where you can have both. The Bible says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, here's the beautiful thing that in heaven, on multiple occasions, he's saying, I, I am. I am is a present and future and current tense. It's this thing to where on the cross, when the, when the, when the post or the tree or the cross was put into the ground, it was this thing to where on it, he says, it is finished. Now, here's the thing. He separated all time, becoming the bridge and the gap from sin to eternity, he even literally marked time in that moment. So what was the end is actually now the beginning because when we're born again, we become new creatures in Christ. And what's the past is now all things are made new. Yeah. So when he's saying it's finished, it's actually just the beginning because in time, all eternity is the same. So then in, we get to Revelation, and in heaven they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. It's the God of Abraham, the past, Isaac, the present, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the future. It's the three-generational perspective. It's the hundred-year vision of what it looks like to give our life, to honor the past, to honor our testimony, to honor those who went before us, to honor that, to appreciate the moment, to appreciate and being content where we are, but look forward to the future. I struggle in this area right here. It's like, I want to live in the moment. That's what I've been pressing into. I want to appreciate upper room in this version. I want to value my family in this moment. I want to, I want to long to just really embrace my marriage in this season because I'm only going to get it once. And I want it to be the best version possible. I want to be the best me in it as possible. And I want to make the choice of contentment no matter where he's calling me to, no matter where he called me from. Because we're all called from something to something. And there's this moment of time where Jesus becomes the propitiation. He becomes the change of time. He becomes that, 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 that thing to where all time is now connected into one. So let me tell you what we're invited into here. So the opportunity, I feel, is, is Thanksgiving becomes an opportunity to change our language from changing our mindset. Let me, just, let me just put it to you this way. The Bible says that our mouth is a reflection of our heart. And the abundance of the heart, the what speaks? The mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So all of a sudden, my mouth becomes a reflection, a mirrored image of my heart. When I can get thankfulness between these 18-inch gap here from where my heart and my brain merge and they become one, now all of a sudden, my choice of thankfulness becomes now a heart issue and I get to live in a transformed life by a renewed mind. So there's this place to where now I can choose. And now my words begin to be different because now I can be thankful to him. I can be thankful about him in the circumstance. And I can be thankful to others. It's this thing to where now my language, my speech from the reflection of my heart is life or death. The Bible says also that although a small member of your body, a forest fire, your tongue can create. And it also says that either life or death are out of the power of the tongue. 
So now you have this thing of life or death, and I want to choose life. I want to have the opportunity to choose life and choose, choose goodness and choose thanksgiving when I'm given this opportunity of choice. So with that, there's forest fires. And I'll just be honest with you. Scott Thompson, good friend of mine, he was the director of outreach for Jesus Culture, leading a school out in California now. He was one of those guys that would get dropped off in an area that's, that's on fire out in the mountains with a pair of boots, a shovel, and a foil blanket. Listen, I fight fires. Eli fights fires. My brother's in that realm. And, and yet, no thanks. Eli, any interest in forest firefighting? No way. Give me the structure fire. Corey's here. Give us the structure fire. Give us this blaze. Let us go in. Let us put that thing out. Have some fun. Tear down some walls. Kick in some doors. We're good. But to throw me out in the middle of the mountains with a foil blanket, a shovel, and some boots? Nah. Most dangerous job on the face of this planet. There are more fatalities and more in firefighting, forest firefighting, than any occupation on the planet. It used to be fire fighting pilots. Fighter, yes, I'm saying that right. Fighter pilots was the number one. Times have changed. Now there's drones blowing things up. Forest firefighting, number one danger. So here's the deal, though. California recently had the most destructive fire in the, the history of our nation. It was the most destructive, not only in fatalities, but economical impact. Most, most destructive yet. There are destructive forest fires. But then, if you know, Emily in here... There are times where there's a desolate land or there's a, a, an invasive species that somebody will intentionally, these experts will go out and they will set a, an area on fire so that it cleanses it and it regrows in a regrowth way in a more pure, more healthy and abundant way. So the same thing with our tongue. It can be destructive and it can tear things down and it can lead to death or it can be this thing that builds up and leads to life and there's only one or the other choice. In Thanksgiving, we get this choice to build up. In Thanksgiving, we get this opportunity that we get to actually encourage one another and look at the situation differently and do these other things to thank God and to thank others and be appreciative and have an attitude of gratitude. Now let me get to my favorite part. The invitation then is an invitation. Thanksgiving becomes an invitation to dwell, live, abide in the heavenly realms. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, I believe it's the third verse, God created the what? Heavens and what? The earth. Heavens and the earth. When he created them, where was he? We'll make you think a little bit today. He was everywhere. He's greater than the cosmos. He's greater than everything around it. So he created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me just challenge some religious mindsets here a little bit. When Adam and Eve were first created in the Garden of Eden, what, what were they promised if they didn't sin or eat from that tree? Life. Eternal life right there. So why was God creating the heavens and the earth? Why was he creating heavens if there was no punishment until they chose to eat from that tree? Let me, let me proposition something here. Heaven is more than just a definition that a ticket gets stamped on a born-again experience. It can become a lifestyle and, and, a, and a way in which we can live. John 10.10 10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life what? More abundantly. So the life on earth, our, the Lord's Prayer, multiple times, he says, pray like this and pray this. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. 
So it's this realm to where heaven is no longer just a destination. It now becomes a lifestyle where I can dwell. I can come from that place. I can visit that place. I can abide in a heavenly realm. He says, come up here. I'll show you great and mighty things. Where are we supposed to fix our eyes? On the heavenlies and higher places. These are the things. So, so let me go here. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. We're to sit in the heavenly realms. We fix our eyes on things above. So Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. Let me just be honest with you. You guys are getting such a better version of this message than the 9 a.m. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. Yep. Um, I was so messed up at 9 a.m. Like something was happening to where uh, there was like this spiritual moment. And I was like blabbering and sobbing. And, and I was like, if you, if you don't like this version, just come back to 11. It'll be way better. And so far, so good. It's not a great message unless Pastor Aaron cries a little bit. So have I done that yet, this message? No. Okay. Not saying I have to, but. <laughs> my first encounter with Holy Spirit, my first, my born-again experience, my salvation moment came with a tangible encounter, and I hadn't cried in several years. And I said, God, if you're real, prove it. I want to cry. That's all I said. So now, every time I feel like presence or I feel like a move of Holy Spirit in me, I'm like, I, I definitely should have said, Lord, I want to feel emotion. Let me be happy. Let, give me joy. Give me laughter. Like, give me a great smile. When I, I want to feel you, Lord. If you're real, let me smile. Crying. So Hebrews 12, 18 through 24 says this. It says, you have not come to, phys- to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and a whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. Listen, there's times when we encounter the the presence of God that there is fear and trembling. There is awe and trembling. There is awe and this, this, this feeling of he is overwhelming me to the point where sometimes I can't stand. I can't focus. I I can only see him. Moses, when he was up on the mountain from below, all they saw was this glow, this cloud and this glow of light. He came down. They couldn't even focus on his face. Listen, when we encounter the presence of Jesus, we'll be so transformed, we'll look totally different. Something happens. Now, let me get on here. No, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, And to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You have come to who? Jesus. Thankfulness is this invitation to dwell in the heavenlies. It's this opportunity that we get an all-access pass, not just because of thankfulness, but because of Jesus. So we get to now come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people into the sprinkled blood. There is something powerful about the blood of Jesus. How many agree with that? There is more power in one drop of Jesus' blood than anything else in this entire planet. It says this, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. This is an opportunity that we get to go to the new Jerusalem, that we get to encounter Jesus firsthand. 
When I first got saved, I didn't believe in God, so I didn't believe in any of the manifestations, giftings, healing, uh, prophetic, none of that. I'm like, no. Well, all of a sudden, my eyes were opened. When I, now I suddenly believe in Jesus. Now I believe in everything. And when I have the living word of God in front of me, and I, and I get to read this, and I get to, I look at this as an invitation that there's an all-access pass to me to try this stuff. Jesus, <laughs> he, he was the greatest example of theology on the earth. He was the greatest example of, of what we are to be like and we're to be Christ-like. He healed. He, he raised the dead. He, he did these things. He loved on people. He loved on the unlovables. He made time for an outcast. He rode across the sea to cast a demon out of one person. Like, this is who Jesus was. And, and then you look at Peter. Like, man, Peter took the risk. We want to condemn him. Like, he lost his, he lost his sight from Jesus. He lost trust. You know, we want to challenge that. He actually stepped out of the boat. Anybody else in here ever walked on water? Am I the only one that's tried? <laughs> nice. I don't yet have the faith to like take my phone out of my pocket, but I'm like, man, if Peter did this, I can do it. But here's the deal. Like, it becomes an invitation for me. But like my friend Scott said once when he was preaching, even when Peter fell, he found what he was looking for, the hand of Jesus. Even in our risk, even when we step out of this boat, even when we take this risk, all of a sudden, Jesus is so good, he still lifts us up, and we can't mess it up. It's this, it's this realm of the heavenlies that we get to dwell. There's this, some cool verses. Like one that intrigues me is, we'll never understand all the mysteries of God. Challenge. Challenge accepted. Last night, Hadassah was going through our house uh, doing the, um, the self-checkout at Kroger Voice. $5.99. Place items in the baggage area. So funny. You'll never understand the mysteries of God. Challenge accepted. I want to spend the rest of my life trying to understand the mysteries of Nicole. I mean, God. It's like a bride. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a spouse. It's like somebody you love that I get to l- learn the rest of my life discovering Nicole, learning why does she think the way she thinks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Why is she always right? Why is she so beautiful? You know, these kinds of things, right? So, so here's the deal. The same thing with the Lord. Like, I'll never understand the mysteries, but I want to die trying. I want to be on this adventure, this life with Jesus where we get to have fun and explore and, and do life together. And he's not this distant, far-off judge that's sitting on this, this big throne, but he's a friend. He's a father. And his eyes burn with fire because he's romantic for me. Like, if you think of romance and rekindling that flame of romance, he's an all-consuming fire. You'll never look at that verse the same when you know he wants to be intimate with you. Now, all of a sudden, these invitations become opportunities to grow closer with the Lord and intimate with him and walk with him and adventure with him and try to discover mysteries together. Let me go to the last verse, and the band can come. Everybody's like, wow, he kind of was short today. Yes, I was. We're going to close this up. I believe this. I sat in Bob's session and, uh, on thankfulness and the prophetic and different things, and he invited us into this encounter, and today the Lord was just showing me, like, like the invitation with thankfulness is an invitation to dwell in the heavenlies from a perspective of the heavenlies, a choice of the heavenly realm of thinking and being and experiencing and, and I'll just be honest with you, it's not this far distant off just destination. It becomes a reality of a lifestyle of here right now. 
Let me go to Isaiah 6. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible were oftentimes manipulated when I was a child to induce fear to make you turn to God because that's what we knew best and that's people were still doing it out of love, but it was mostly fear-driven rather than love-driven because they were trying to scare the hell out of you rather than introduce you to a loving, kind father. One of them is Revelation. Revelation was never meant to be this fear book that is just trying to scare everybody to say yes to Jesus. It was actually a love book of an open vision to John the Beloved from a gift from God. The same thing Isaiah. Like Isaiah is this prophet. He's seeing these heavenly realms. He's, he's experiencing God's giving him insight, not to scare, but to be loved. And, and I think that's the invitation today. So it's not this gate that doesn't open. A gate is meant to open. So when we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, that's actually an invitation to the gates of heaven and the interthrone. Now, that same picture of Jesus on the cross, all of a sudden he's crucified. He says, it, it is finished. So another thing he says is, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Then something happens. The ground begins to shake. And the veil is torn from heaven to where? Earth was bridging not only eternity from sin and the separation to the Father, but it was actually bridging heaven and earth to one. Nicole shared last week with the tabernacle. And the point of going from into the outer courts, that's praise. You're offering up sacrifices. That's worship. And then you get into the holy place. And, and what's happened is you go to the holiest of holies and only the high priest can go there. And only one day a year called the Day of Atonement. And it was separated by a veil, a curtain. It was separated. And on your behalf, he would go on your behalf to God and offer up the sacrifice, offer up the incense, whatever it is. And anyways, he would do this, paraphrasing kind of moving through this, on your behalf. But here's the thing. When Jesus was crucified, there was a merger where heaven and earth almost become one because the veil was torn from heaven to earth. Now I no longer need somebody to go on my behalf. I no longer can only do it in this one particular place or this one particular person on this one particular day of the year. Now I have an all-access pass to all that Jesus has to offer. Heaven to earth was torn. It shook the earth. So Isaiah has this experience. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Sometimes in our hardship, sometimes in bad circumstances, all of a sudden things become in perspective and opened up to where we see the Lord. We see it the way that God is seeing it. Sometimes that moment, you know, it changes things. And it leads us to the heart of the Father. It says, he was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. <laughs> These things mess me up. I love reading, seeing, I can visualize the picture of heaven here. I can picture Jesus in all of his majesty. It says, the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of heaven's armies. Like holy, holy, holy. Adoration, worship, awe, this new realm. Every time we look at Jesus, this new facet of who he is. Holy, holy, holy. And it never gets boring, and they do it for eternity, and it never 
old and it never changes because he's that good. It says the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole what? Earth is filled with what? His glory. Even in heaven, in this heavenly realm, they are declaring and saying even the whole earth is filled with his glory. Merging the two to one saying, God, an all access pass. Whether you're in heaven or you're on earth. Then it goes on to say this. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. How many of you at times you feel inadequate? You feel you're not worthy. You feel like you're Gideon. Yeah, yeah, not, not me, not, not, not this guy. I felt that way. Then it says this, just, just in the New Testament, it says that Philip and Stephen were uneducated men. They may not have had the highest scholars mentoring them. They may not have had the, the best theology of everything and explanation and, and background and education. But it says Philip and Stephen may have been uneducated men, but they, you can tell they have been with Jesus. He goes on to say this. He says, yet I have seen the King, the Lord, heaven's armies. Something changes about us. Something changes from the inside out when I've seen the King, when I've experienced His presence, when I've been in a moment of an encounter with the heavenlies. And it goes on to say this, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Now this is amazing. Paul's talking about the altar of incense last week. She's talking about the tabernacle. She's talking about entering the gates and the courts. The courts are, are symbolic of the secret place with God. It's almost like a bedroom analogy to where it's the intimate place with the Lord. So the gates are this celebration and this, this, this public gathering, and then the courts is the secret place. But out in that public place is this altar. And here we're connecting the two from last week of the tabernacle. Now the very thing that Isaiah is saying, I'm not worthy of, I'm not good enough of. Now, here's what happens is the seraphim grabs the coal from the altar of incense and touches the lips and says, not only are your sins forgiven, but your shame's removed too. Your past is forgiven and you are worthy. Listen, one encounter, one moment with Jesus will change us for a lifetime. An invitation into his realm, an invitation into the heavenlies, an invitation into encounter with him will change us more than a word. It'll change us more than, than, than something else. Then it goes on in closing. It says this. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to these people? Who will go for us? An encounter always also has a purpose. Like, we're saved from something to be saved to something. There's a purpose behind this. It's not just for self-edification. Absolutely, an offering is for the Lord. But then there's something that happens here to where now he is transformed in the very nature of God in the heavenly realm. And he's forgiven, not just the sin, but the shame. Now here's the, here's the crazy thing. Sometimes sin will take you to a place, but it's shame that keeps you there. Sometimes shame is the most powerful part of sin because it convinces us that we're not good enough, we're not worthy, we're not accepted, we're not loved, and it's an orphan style of thinking that where God removed the sin and the shame. And now, he says, who will go? And here, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And I believe we're in a people right now. We are in a, a family right now. 
in this moment, in this room, that are saying, here am I, send me. But I believe we need that encounter. I believe we need that invitation into the heavenly realm to experience him, to, to tangibly feel him, to, to know him, and to go to that secret place, not just the gates, but also the courts. And I believe we're going to create that. I believe God is going to just pour that out right now. What I want you to do. I, in the upper room, when like crazy stuff happened, I don't know if they're standing, sitting, or whatever, but just for the sake of whatever, just I want you to sit there. I just want you to hold your hands out. Maybe you close your eyes. Sometimes that helps you picture. I believe the Lord is inviting you to some rooms of heaven. I believe He's inviting you to, to some realms. He has a really big house. He's got a place set aside for you. I believe you're gonna you're gonna have some experiences right now. I believe some of you in this very moment are gonna experience heat. I believe some of you might start to experience tears, tears of joy, tears of healing. I believe some of you might even feel a wind or smell an aroma. Some of you may may start to pray in a heavenly language for the first time. Lord, we just ask for an encounter. We thank you for the invitation to the heavenlies. We thank you for an invitation to an encounter, to an experience with you, to a tangible infilling of your Holy Spirit. 